Okie dokie. Oh. A podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing to work our way through the Gospels. This is Gospels number 17. Wow, in the previous episode we talked about a lot of things. Um, We wrapped up the whole debacle in the temple with Jesus making a uh, whip of cords and (laughs) how his disciples are wrestling with uh, believing these things that are being revealed with his ministry. We saw Jesus' obedience going to Jerusalem for Passover. Um, we saw people beginning to ask for signs, like what are the signs uh, that they're looking for with Jesus coming into the picture and him alluding to his death, burial, and resurrection with the temple being destroyed and being rebuilt. Uh, we learned about a new character in the story named Nicodemus, a man of the Pharisees, ruler of the Jews. And we left off with him coming to Jesus at night and asking him these questions regarding who he is, his authority, uh, and why he has come into the picture. Yeah, and he just, Jesus immediately pushes everything toward the kingdom, right? Yeah, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yeah. All right. I'm with you now. I think we can actually continue if you're ready. Yeah, where are we at in the text? John chapter 3, verse 4. All right, don't forget to look at your presentation page for that PDF as well. Yeah, so uh, Nicodemus had talked, Jesus said, hey, truly, truly, uh, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom, and so now we're ready for Nicodemus's response. So he says this, verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, I know we've already mentioned this whole idea. John trying to use misunderstanding in his storytelling, right? Gives an opportunity for elaboration or explanation. Now, that could be what we're seeing here. But here's a point that I want to make. I think this is really important that we see. Nicodemus isn't adult. Okay, and and people try to make him out to be that he is part of the educated elite, and we're going to see Jesus refer to it later. It's, I mean, it's really a big deal. So there's a sense in which his question is very very reasonable. I mean, you know, we would look at it if somebody said, "Hey, you need to be born again," and you went, "What do you mean? I can't like." Go into my mother's womb a second. What? What are, you, what are you talking about? Okay, it's reasonable in that regard, but it's also reasonable from a really smart, educated Jewish teacher kind of perspective. Okay? We could say, even though a lot of people like to say, oh, Nicodemus doesn't even know what Jesus is talking about. Actually, we could say that Nicodemus perfectly understands exactly what Jesus is talking about with the proselyte conversion metaphor. See, Nicodemus is, he's kind of pushing back. He's saying, look, uh, 
I'm hearing you and your whole proselyte conversion metaphor, but I'm already Jewish. I was born Jewish. Why would I need to convert? I mean, could you possibly be suggesting that I must literally be born again? Re-enter my mother's womb? So, it's the same kind of questioning, the same kind of back and forth, except Nicodemus is an adult, okay? Let me rephrase that. He's not a dolt. (laughs) I didn't want that to come across as if he was childish. He's not an adult. (laughs) Anyway, so... It, it's it's reasonable to look at this as Nicodemus, he's totally getting what Jesus is saying. He's picking up what he's laying down, if we could say it that way, right? So we get to verse 5, and Jesus answers. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, you remember what he said before, Samuel? He also used that phrase, truly, truly. Yes, but before he was saying, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And now he's saying, unless you're born of water and spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. So this is, it's, I mean, you can see, okay, we've got a progression here. You know, there's a there's a little bit of a, a, a battle of wits going on, and, and not like in a bad way, in a good way, and we can see it progressing. So, now you mentioned truly, truly, and I would say, you know what, it's good you said that, because I think this is another instance where, well, maybe the truly, truly applies to what Nicodemus just said. Yeah, you're right. You can't enter a second time into your mother's womb right? You can't. This is important. Why is it important? Because this all relates to the flesh or our physical bodies. So he could be saying truly, truly to what Nicodemus said, or it could be truly, truly for what Jesus is about to say. I think both are reasonable. In fact, I would say both make sense. So uh, what is Jesus saying? Unless one is born of water, what do you think that means, Samuel? Well, my my uh, my Southern Baptist roots are thinking about immersion right now, but oh, you know, that yeah, something deeper going on. Yeah, the, that's actually a good one. Um, I don't think that's what he's talking about, but that's a, it's good you bring it up. Um, born of water. Okay, uh, we could we could look back up above. And this would actually kind of relate to what you were saying. Maybe this is a reference back to the baptism of the conversion metaphor. Not exactly sure how that would fit, but at least contextually, that's one thing that we could look at. And maybe because we've been talking for a long time, uh, you know, we've been trying to get to the Jesus part of the narrative. We spent some time on John the Baptist. He was doing a baptism of repentance. Well, maybe when he says born of water, he's talking about something like that. Uh, you know, you, you're, you're immersed because you've entered into uh, uh, this, this place of, of repentance, true repentance, right? 
And then also, uh, have you ever, uh, it's in every like TV movie, it's, it's all over the place. What is the famous thing that women do when you know that they're about to give birth and now it's like, oh, we're in the crazy situation where, you know, we wish we were in the hospital, but we're not. What happens to the woman? Oh, my water broke. Her water broke, right? So, well, maybe, maybe we're just talking about physical birth that all humans go through, right? It's born of water, right? So, now, if we stopped right here, it might be hard to figure out exactly what's what. But as we continue, I think it's going to become more obvious. And I'll just go ahead and do the spoiler alert. I think we're leaning heavily towards physical birth that all humans go through, okay? But he says you have to be born of water and the Spirit. Well, what do you think that is, Samuel? Um. <laughs> Can we even know? Uh, yeah, I need some help. Yeah, and I think it's very reasonable. I mean, you got to put yourself back there. Nicodemus is here in this. Is it really so crazy that he's going, whoa, uh, born of this, but why, I, I don't, what, what do you mean by that? What exactly do you mean? Now, it is possible there were uh, some uh, traditional sort of interpretations that, that, you know, we have, of course, the Old Testament scriptures. There really may be something that, that Nicodemus, as a teacher, a leader among Israel, he may have known these things. So I think we got to sort of give him some of the benefit of the doubt here. But I think just for our sake in reading through, let's at least put a little bit of meat on the bone and say, look, this spiritual birth is, you might think of it as a new creation. That's a term we're used to hearing. You might think of it as, uh, what's an, uh, regeneration is another one. It's this idea where, um, okay, they, they were familiar with physical circumcision, which is probably an important uh, thing to remember right here. Spiritual uh, birth would be more like circumcision of the heart, right? Now, we have, okay, again, I'm, I'm reaching out toward the end of the story. We know that there's this ultimate time. When we ourselves are resurrected, we're in the world to come, we have, our hearts have been circumcised, circumcised as in the, the Torah is written on our mind and on our hearts. But there's also this idea of we walking through daily life now where that circumcision of the heart is going on in us, the writing of the Torah on our mind and on our hearts, it's going on in us. And so, all of these things are in view when we say born of the spirit. Okay. Yeah. And, and then, I was just thinking um, what you said, saying that this still wouldn't be something that Nicodemus would not be aware of because God says that phrase, circumcise your heart in the Torah. Exactly. Uh, Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 through 17, specifically verse 16, God says, so circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. And that, that yeah. phrase is preceded by God telling the people like, okay, you need to follow me, love me with everything you got, you know, walk in my ways, do the commandments, which is right in line with what we, what we were just saying and everything we've said up until this point. Yeah, 
Yeah. Now, uh, for sure, there are going to people. There are going to be people who are going. Oh, but it means this, and it means this. Okay, I'm. I'm not attempting to be exhaustive. I'm trying to bring this home into something that fits a conversation at this time between these two people. Maybe I'm doing a good job, bad job, whatever. I don't know. But that that's what we're going for here. So don't worry. We'll have much more to say about the spirit and you know, born in the spirit and all of that. That don't don't worry. It's coming. <clears throat> uh, and then one other thing, uh, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Remember, it's slightly different than can't see the kingdom. Now we can't enter. So in context, uh, okay, we're, we're going to try to piece all this together, right? And I mean, to be fair, we've we've seemingly had to bring in some later parts of the story to try to get some understanding here, which I, I don't always like doing that, but John's writing the story later, and I think he kind of puts us in a position where we have to. But having said that, you can't enter the kingdom of God. What, what do we pull that out to? How can we understand that? Well, it's something like the kingdom isn't about physical descent. And, and, and we could say that more clearly, like it's not about being a citizen of Israel. Now, for sure, there's a there's a very strong connection, and you know, the king is coming through Israel and all of those things. It's all important. But I think what Jesus is getting at here is entrance into the kingdom. I mean, just imagine if you had a ticket. Okay? If you had this ticket, you could enter the kingdom. Well, okay, walking up there to buy your ticket. You can't say, I was born Jewish, or I converted and became Jewish. Well, that's not going to get you a ticket, right? That's, that's kind of what's being said here. It's The important thing is being a citizen of the kingdom itself, and how do you do that? It's through repentance and circumcision of the heart. You know, in, in, a, in my little uh, metaphor there, it's as if those things, in a sense, help you acquire a ticket to get in. Right mm-hmm. now, I don't want that to come across like somehow you're earning your salvation. Don't don't people be putting stuff in my mouth? I'm just I'm trying to show the difference. Right, we could be talking about physical circumcision and physical baptism, but we're not. We're talking about spiritual circumcision, spiritual baptism, and so we want to. I, what I'm suggesting is that Jesus is is making the distinction between. Don't think that being Jewish, being an Israelite, is the the answer. It's available to all. It's about uh, uh, accepting him in faith, believing with a faith like Abraham's, that kind of thing. It's open for everybody, and so we have to see it in that separate light. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And that affirms that God's plan does not include him rejecting Israel uh, and going out to the nations, yes. Like this, this shows that they're they're included. They just need to be a part of it for the right reasons, and not holding on to their cultural ties as a reason for their connection to the story. Right. Yes. Yeah. Their story gets very complicated. We'll address it more as we go. But yeah, to if 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 you're thinking that Jews and Judaism just got tossed out of the story, that's that's not a good picture. That's going to lead you to a lot of misunderstanding of what's in your scriptures, the New Testament scriptures. But yeah, good good point. 
So, so they're having this conversation. Unless you're born of water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom. So Jesus continues in verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Okay. Now, born of the flesh, what's Jesus getting at? Well, there's multiple things we could be thinking about it. It could be physical birth. It could be, you know, we talked about immersion and the, and the different ways you might go through that. But this, this is where I feel like we're starting to understand the idea that Jesus has been talking about a distinction between flesh and spirit as in you're born of the flesh, but you're also born of the spirit. Uh, so born of the flesh is talking about physical birth. This born of the spirit, as we said in this last verse, we're, we're talking about repentance, circumcision of the heart. So here's, I think, what he's getting at. On one hand, this, this legal transformation, if, if we go back to how did things work back then, this legal transformation, conversion, um, you're no longer a citizen of, uh, let's say, Rome, but now you're a citizen of Israel, or I guess maybe you could be both. Uh, but that is now being presented like it's a model. We can look to that to understand something greater. And that is this required spiritual conversion so that you can become a citizen of the kingdom. So Jesus knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, Nicodemus totally understands the idea of conversion to become a legal Israelite, a legal Jew. He's using that to show him that there's also a conversion, a similar or analogous conversion for becoming a citizen of the kingdom. And then the point we've already mentioned, on the other hand, he's, he's trying to show him, yeah, if you're leaning on your physical descent, that's not going to get you into the kingdom. It's not going to you know, get you that ticket, like we said. Mm-hmm. You have to be reborn, and that rebirth comes through repentance and circumcision. That is your conversion ceremony or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and that, that model that you've talked about, that's been present from the beginning of the story, even before Israel got established as a nation itself. Like, think about Abraham. Abraham got called out of Ur of the Chaldeans and got asked by God to partner with him and, you know, start a new thing with him, leaving that land, that pagan culture that he was a part of, to be a part of God's purposes to sort of relearn what he um, thought who God was and yeah. reimagine what relationship with God looks like. So it, it's, again, it's nothing new, at least in my opinion, it's just uh, reaffirming what that looks like for those on a physical sense, like where you were, where you're going. And then on a spiritual sense, how that's affecting your, your lifestyle and your actions and your choices and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that's another really good picture. Very good. Now the I, I think the text now is going to help us out a little bit. Uh, so let's let's read uh, verses seven and eight. Do not marvel 
that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I know I just said that's going to help us, and after reading it, it probably sounded like, I'm just more confused. What is that? I don't understand that. But I I really do think that contained within here, there's some things that are going to help us. So, number one, uh, just a question. Do you think it's reasonable that Nicodemus is marveling at Jesus's words? Uh, I would hope so. I'm marveling now. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that anybody who's, you know, being honest, they're going, dude, I, (laughs) I, yeah, marveling. That's a good, yeah, yeah, I would be. Okay. So we got that. But now let's just stop for a second. So he he makes this sort of crazy kind of, you know, weird uh, philosophical kind of statement or something. But let's, let's, let's stop. I think it's a lot easier than we think. So we could say, like the wind, whatever work it is that the Spirit is doing in a man, well, it's unseen. You can't actually see the wind, but you can, you can see evidence, right? When you see the trees blowing around, well, that's evidence of the wind. Or more, more uh, personal or whatever, more, more at home, when you feel it rushing across your face or, or blowing your hair into your face while you're trying to do something or whatever it might be, you have evidence of the wind, and yet you still cannot see it. Okay? Well, in the same way, when the Spirit is working in a man, you can't actually see the work being done. It remains invisible to us. But you can see evidence of the Spirit working in a man. So, so going back to what we've already talked about, what is it? What do we think that Jesus is trying to communicate here to Nicodemus? Or what's John trying to communicate to us through this story? Okay, the work of the Spirit, this thing that we're saying is invisible, It's definitely not things like, I'm Jewish, or I'm a Christian, okay? Uh, We could name sacraments. I mean, different churches have different ones, but but any, any of the sacramental things, or even ceremonial rites, or catechisms, or, I mean, we could plug, I don't know, just about everything in here, that is not the work of the Spirit, okay? Um, Jesus, he's gone right to the heart of the matter with Nicodemus, okay? Nicodemus's true concern was about the kingdom. He never used those words, but Jesus picked up on it. So Jesus explains that the true key to entrance into the kingdom or participation in the kingdom, however you want to look at that, it's all about the state of the man. It's, it's about loyalty, obedience, righteousness, imaging God, if we could say it that way, right? It's not, I'm a Christian, 
I said the prayer, or I was born again on this date, or whatever. That's a wonderful thing for you. But that status, that's, that's not what is, is at st- uh, of importance here. It's the loyalty, the obedience, the righteousness, the imaging. So for Nicodemus's part, being Jewish, just because of his physical descent, that's not going to cut it. Okay, being Jewish is still special, and we'll probably say things coming up in this podcast that'll make you think we're we're making Jews too special, but they are still special. They're the elect, they're the chosen. Nothing has changed about that, but being Jewish only matters if if you're Jewish by imaging God, being salt, being light, being priests of God. That's all the real point of even being Jewish. And interestingly, that's all the real point for us, too. But that's the key. Israel, uh, okay, they've fallen short so many times in so many ways. But can we be honest? So is the church. Right? Yeah. And I, I don't know. I feel like I have to say this out loud. Um, I'm definitely not in any way offering any sort of support for the necessity of baptism as a sacrament in the church. I love baptism. I was baptized. Anybody that I know that wants to really, really, you know, get connected with God, I think I want them to be baptized. I think it's a neat part of the whole thing. But I'm never going to deny someone's status with God just because they haven't gone through a baptism or something like that, right? It's just not a thing. But having, having said all of this stuff, now when you go back and you hear, hey, don't marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It doesn't sound quite so weird and foreign now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I, I, I will confess that when I was trying to do some studying, preparing for this, and when I read that initially, I was going, wow, what the heck am I going to say about that? It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still tough. It is. It is. But I, I think putting all these things together, we, we, we get all this stuff out about the Nicodemus story and, and maybe, you know, spend some time rereading it, thinking it through. I think this is really going to help us uh, in the long run. Uh, I think you nailed it with having this phrase, um, being Jewish in its, you know, if we're nailing things down to their most simple essence, it, being Jewish means imaging God. You know, it, it, that is the the banner for those that are ethnically Jewish who are practicing in the faith, and those are that's true for Gentiles who have been grafted into the Commonwealth of Israel by their faith in Messiah. Like exactly that that was the point of it at the beginning. Like God could have chosen any nation of people, and you know their name could have been something else, but the the, the intent would have still been the same, imaging Him. But yes. It, Israel was just the name because the people group that he chose uh, in order to try to show the world what he is like to others. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so true. And another thing that I don't think that we uh, get enough thought to is this idea that, look, and I'm not even saying that this is right. I'm just saying for these people at that time, their mindset was, hey, if you really, really want to be associated with God, you need to convert. You need to you need to join us. You need to become Israel. And so we we need to remember that so that we can understand how these conversations are hitting them. As we read it, we can we can better understand maybe where their mind is in all of this. And that's, I mean, th- this is perfect. We get to verse nine. <laughs> Listen to this. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Right? I mean, he's just like, what? I, I don't even, I, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? I came here thinking you know, you seem like an awesome dude. This, this, this could be a good thing. We, we kind of, we're kind of behind you over here. And now you are laying on me some really hard sayings. This isn't really fitting within my current paradigm. You're stretching me. You're hurting me, right? Though salvation indeed comes through Israel. I don't think anybody before or after can deny this. Salvation comes through Israel because Jesus comes through Israel, right? Okay, but salvation is not achieved by being Israel. Physical, physical descent, right? And this goes against the mainstream thinking of their time. Um, it, it's it's kind of like now we've heard Paul if if you've read in the, your New Testament you've probably heard Paul talk a little bit about like the true Israel or the remnant or you know things like that. It's almost as if Jesus right here in the Nicodemus story is is uh, laying that out like there is an Israel and there is a true Israel and they're both special and important in their own way. But of course, ultimately, your goal is to be part of true Israel, right? Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> so poor Nicodemus. I can't wait for this next, I can't wait for this next yeah. verse. <laughs> so poor Nicodemus, how can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Straight mic drop. <laughs> yeah. But but listen, th- th- this is something we read over all the time. Notice that he says, he, he, he calls Nicodemus a teacher of Israel. Okay? So if you were wondering, you know, what does Nicodemus know or not know or whatever, why is Paul telling us he's not adult? He's a teacher of Israel. He's one of the educated elite. That's, as I mentioned before, And it doesn't even stop there. Notice it doesn't say Nicodemus is a teacher. He says, you're the teacher. Now, there are those who are going to argue about the translation, that kind of stuff. But if we were to take it as the teacher, if we accept that as a reasonable translation, 
he's making the point that Nicodemus, as a teacher, is preeminent among his peers. He's like the teacher that the teachers go to. So, in in one sentence, Jesus is, you know, I guess you could say kind of scolding Nicodemus a bit. How could you not know this? Okay, and from Jesus' perspective, totally understandable. But even while he's doing that, he's also recognizing, acknowledging Nicodemus's position. You're like the teacher of Israel, man. In a sense, sort of lifting him up a little bit <laughs> before he dashes him to bits. In the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. It's just amazing. I don't know. Sam, is all of that kind of making sense? I mean, are, are we telling a story that people can can grab onto here? I think so. I mean, one of the things that was coming to my mind as you were saying that is that even though that Nicodemus is being portrayed as a faithful, pious guy amongst the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, that doesn't mean that he still has not been influenced by the long-standing generations of wrong thinking that Jewish leadership has had about where their stance is within God's story uh, as a nation and then in their interactions with the rest of the world. And so I don't think that it's Nicodemus's fault that he's struggling so much is because he's had to be in that circle with so many of the authorities in uh, Jewish spirituality that are saying, you know, we're good. Right. We're from Abraham. So, right. Um, he's having to overcome generational amounts of a misconceptions that Jesus is trying to to fix, uh, yeah. starting with him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you gotta have some sympathy for him. And I don't know if you remember, Nicodemus becomes one of the good guys. Yeah, we're not. So done all yet. of this, yeah, all of this interaction that we're seeing, it's having an effect. Yeah, right. That's a cool yeah. thing to have in your back pocket. Yeah, so we get to verse 11. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Oh, it just doesn't get any easier. So, number one, if we could pick on that phrase, truly, truly, again, I think it's certainly more obvious in this particular spot that he is applying it to what he's about to say, but it's not. It's not incomprehensible to look back and and say truly, truly to the idea that, yeah, you're the teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe I've pushed it too far, but still, uh, truly, truly, something important is being said. But listen, he says, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. And you do not receive our testimony. Well, now who's actually talking about? I mean, okay, so far, do you have any sense that anyone is at this little meeting other than Jesus and Nicodemus? But I mean, especially with us knowing that it's late at night, I was just thinking it was them two. Right. Now, we don't know it 100%, but boy, that's sure the way it comes across. 
So who is this we? Is it kind of like the royal we? Like, oh yeah, sorry, uh, we don't actually like coconut. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, maybe? Uh, we don't know. Others present at the meeting? But could it be something like Jesus, um, I don't know, including himself with the prophets, all those who were writing what we think of as the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, right? We don't know, but it's so weird that he all of a sudden turns to this plural thing and like totally on purpose because he says it multiple times. And so, I don't know, out of everything that I could think of, the best one in my mind would have been, you know, sort of that idea of including himself with the prophets. So if we take that, then, you know, in, in a sense, he's joining into a very long tradition of giving true testimony to Israel and just not being received. In fact, historically, mostly killed for it, right? And of course, that fits with exactly what he said. So I don't know. It's a guess. I'm not saying that that has to be the only way we take it, but what a weird thing. This whole conversation, everything that John writes is just, it's mind twisting. Yeah. And cool at the same time. Yeah. So he goes on, verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So, so what, what are we talking about? What are these earthly things? So what, what's Nicodemus struggling with? He, he doesn't seem to be able to accept this message somehow, some way, this need for the birth in the spirit. And, and I mean, we, we have to say it. Where is this birth in the spirit occurring, Samuel? Uh, it's happening within our reality here on earth. Yeah, it's happening to physical beings here in the physical realm, right? So this whole idea, I mean, we're saying birth in the spirit, but we're actually talking about, at least in some sense, I think in the, in the greatest sense, we're talking about earthly things. And if Nicodemus is having a struggle with this, hey, it's not about your physical descent. It's about this part. It's, it's birth in the spirit, right? How, what is Jesus even going to say about heavenly things that Nicodemus might accept? Do you think, I mean, is there really a hope? It doesn't seem to be. Right. Yeah, I think the, you know, the implied answer from Jesus' question is nothing. Nicodemus has got to get over this initial hurdle before he's going to be able to accept anything else. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I actually find this quite humorous. Jesus apparently does want to share some heavenly things. And so, even though he's not showing a lot of confidence that Nicodemus is going to get them, he's going to share them anyway. So, we may as well take a look at those, right? <laughs> it's very funny. He's like, you've already so, woken me up. You're not getting it. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you my two cents anyway. That's right. Get it out there. Maybe it'll mean something to you later, right? So, verse 13. Jesus says this, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. 
Wait a second. Rut row, Shaggy. Is this also the law of first mentions? Have we? Is this the first time of us seeing Son of Man in the Gospels? Ooh, um, I can't remember if we've seen that yet or not. I, I feel like we've talked about it. Yeah, that we've definitely talked about it, but I, I don't remember. Yeah, Jesus caught me off guard. That. I can't remember. Yeah, sorry, um, I, I and, got you off track. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, it's not a law; it's a principle. Uh, oh, just saying. Oh, you're but okay uh, now so so you brought up a really good point and we'll talk about that a little bit but i want to go back a second he just said no one has ascended into heaven anybody pop into mind um elijah went up in some fiery chariots yeah elijah didn't die he just went up into heaven anybody else uh, there was some guy in Genesis in the genealogies that said that he lived so many years and then was no more for he, like, I don't know, walked with God or something. Yep. Enoch. Yeah. And so, uh, wait a second. Is this some sort of contradiction? Does Jesus not know what it, right? <laughs> well, it would be a great question for sure, but... Again, we've got all of this context, so let's see if we can try to understand what it is that Jesus is on about. Okay, so verse 12 was about this idea of knowing earthly things and heavenly things. And so there's a sense in which this is a continuation of that thought. So bear with me here. Uh, Maybe, Samuel, I'll have you read something. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 12. Read that for us. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Right. And one more, this, the, the, these kind of work together. Proverbs chapter 30, verse four. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Yeah. Now, why did I have you read those? Okay, in my mind, both of these verses are suggesting that there is, in fact, a futility in the pursuit of divine revelation. Okay, because that's what they're talking about. Who's going who's gonna to ascend to heaven or who's going to go across the sea or whatever to bring this thing back? Well, what is this thing that they're going for and bringing back? It's divine revelation. Okay, so uh, Jesus, being the Son of Man, which you mentioned, okay, he's claiming that true divine revelation as the one who has come down. So, if I could, uh, what I would like to suggest here, we read it and we go, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended. And I think people naturally put the emphasis on the ascended part. And, and, and I think that's reasonable and fair. But I think, and we're going to see this more, especially in the book of John, the real emphasis here is on the fact that he descended. Okay? In Jewish thought, the only one who ever came down 
was God. And of course, Nicodemus knows that. That's the way he thinks. That's what, you know, this entire generation, that's the way they're going to hear that. The only one who ever comes down is God. So this is actually a very strong inference to Jesus's divinity. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. Jesus is saying that he came down as the son of man. Okay? And you're getting that uh, Jewish thought the only one who ever, quote, came down was God from instances like Spirit of God descending onto the chaotic waters, uh, God descending to interact with, you know, the first patriarchs, uh, God descending on Mount Sinai to give Israel the law and marry them, God descending into the tabernacle his presence in the Holy of Holies and in the first temple and the second temple. Yes. All of those things. All of those things. And and in the Jewish mindset, especially of this time, their view of the world was kind of like, look, here we are. Here's physical creation, all this kind of stuff. When God interacts, it's it's almost like you could see Heaven, let's just say it's, you know, somehow hovering above earth, if we could think of it that way, hovering above creation. It's almost as as if it bends down to touch the earth. And so, yeah, all the things you talked about, nobody else came down. Nobody else went up, so to speak. It was God. Now, we have those two examples, Enoch and Elijah, others they may have entered the heavenly realm. Okay, those are various ways for sure. But nothing can compare to the word made flesh because this is God coming down and then he will also go back up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and, and, and why is that important? His knowledge of, his experience with heavenly things is incomparable. And, and that is not at opposition to the idea that we've laid out of, of him self-limiting, right? He is God and man, but he's trying to, to walk this out, to do what it is he's doing. He's doing it as a human. But his knowledge and experience of heavenly things, it's beyond what anyone else can know. So Enoch and Elijah, they're born here and they go up, but Jesus descends first mm-hmm. and he will also ascend so this is something nicodemus this this is going to be a, a just another mind trip for him but these are now heavenly things instead of earthly things right yeah yeah it's, uh, it's so good uh and then oh boy i don't know how this is going to work out time wise we're getting to a really cool part though let's go to verse uh 14 15 so so jesus he he's He's gone from earthly things to heavenly things. He's talking about the ascending and descending. And we're getting to one of those all all important, super famous scriptures, right? But right before it, Jesus says this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, 
Now this, it starts to get really hard to even know, is John still storytelling of a thing that happened? Or is he, are his thoughts starting to enter in? Or what exactly is going on here? But this is a, this is an unbelievable prediction this early in the story coming from Jesus, right? But let's go back. Where does this come from? Numbers chapter 21, verse 9. Samuel, why don't you read that? So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Yeah. Now, that's what Jesus just said in verse 14. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Okay. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. So, common Jewish interpretation Okay, and and why do we keep saying that? Because that's how they were thinking back then. And that's what, you know, this is the kind of people that would be hearing Jesus's words. Okay, so the common interpretation was that this, uh, the, the power to save wasn't actually in the serpent. Okay, which, I mean, we would be happy to agree with that. The power to save wasn't actually in the serpent. It's in the trust and obedience exhibited by the one bitten who looks upward for his salvation. Do you see that? Yeah. That, I mean, I just said the gospel, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But that's that's what we, we see in this picture. And then, okay, so this poll... Uh, understand that the serpent was up on a pole, right? Uh, understand that, uh, like, if you can imagine, and, and you may remember some of the stories about the, the, the wars or the battles that are going on in the Old Testament. There's that one where, remember, Moses goes up on a, on a high hill and he raises up, uh, the, the flag or whatever. He, he raises up the, the thing and the guys, they're trying to hold up his arms and all of that. This is a standard. It's the standard for rallying the troops, okay? Just in the, in the general sense, right? And so Messiah, just another one of those things, Messiah is always expected to be the standard bearer of the Lord. So you see just a little bit of connection with that as well. Could there also be a cross connection there with putting, if we're, if we're going back and forth between Moses and the bronze serpent and Messiah, like bronze serpents put up on a pole, Messiah was crucified on a tree or a pole, that kind of thing. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. We're headed there. That's, and that's exactly the image that I think we're supposed to get. Now, and that's why it always kind of raises that, did Jesus really say these things to Nicodemus? That's so crazy. He's like totally nailing this thing. Or are we seeing a little bit of John's knowledge from later seeping in? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's believable either way if if you, you know, believe that he's Messiah, but it's it's such a great picture. So yeah, Messiah lifted up on a pole, the serpent lifted up on a pole. So this bronze serpent, when it is lifted up on the pole, what does it do? These people have been bitten. And and what's going to happen to them if they don't look at the serpent? They're going to die. Yeah. Yeah, so they're looking to this serpent up on a pole, and it's supposed to save them from death. Wow, that sounds familiar, right? 
Jesus will ultimately be lifted up on a cross, just like you said, and that's also going to save from death. The difference is, when you look to the serpent, well, that saved you temporarily, but you would still die someday. When you look to Jesus, you, you will be saved from death eternally. This is, of course, one in a huge string of examples in the New Testament where we try to show that Jesus is superior in just every possible aspect, right? But here it is again. Or maybe for the first time, I can't remember if we've had one yet. Uh, But yeah, so lift it up. Now, obviously, I mean, you did it. I think anybody, especially familiar with the story, is going to go, well, this has got to be referring to the cross, right? Uh, Or... We could also go further. We could say, well, maybe it's referring to his resurrection. That's also a lifting up, right? And I mean, who knows? Maybe it's just both. Either way, if you're buying that this is part of the dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus, if you're buying that it's happening this early in the timeline and all this, man, this would be a, this suggests clear knowledge on Jesus's part regarding his future, the outcome, and all of that. The problem is, I'm just saying, we're going to run into stuff coming up in the Gospels. It's going to start to throw things in a little bit more of a question, right? So, I don't know. Just don't hold on to it too tightly. That's all I'm saying. Uh, oh, and then this other thing, I, I I always like to pick on these words. He says, uh, so the Son of Man, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And and I just, I, I know I'm going to say it more than people are going to want to hear it, but it's important. This believing, it's not mere mental assent. That just, that is not in view here. That's not, it doesn't fit with any part of the story. Old, new, any, nothing. It's just not right. This is, this this idea of believing, it's trust. And we might call that faith. But it's trust accompanied by an appropriate response, appropriate action. And we might call that faithfulness. So believing is both. It's, It's faith, trusting, believing, and it's faithfulness, acting on that belief, on what you you trust to be true. So, anyway, I said it again, and I'm going to say it more. Uh, and then finally, uh, there's a little bit of an issue here. Uh, there's a lot of disagreement. Some people think that this is the end of the conversation with Nicodemus. Other people think the conversation continues with Nicodemus. And, uh, well, I guess we would say this, if, if you think that this is the end of the narrative of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, then you have to stop right here and go, Hey man, this was enough. This convinced Nicodemus, this compelled Nicodemus. And I mean, you know, who are we to say but given the story, you get the sense that it was an eternal change in him. 
which is, I mean, it's kind of awesome. You could read a little bit about it. Look in uh, John chapter seven, John chapter 19. You can see more about Nicodemus, see where this is all headed. Uh, But again, there's the big argument. Are we really ending the conversation with Nicodemus or not? Now, I'm going to say, this is, this is for me, and it, you don't have to accept it, but given what John is about to say, given the whole, uh, the whole next section, really, I think that beginning in verse 16, there is an actual break. We're not talking to Nicodemus anymore. This is John, the writer, stepping back from the story and He's just inserting his own commentary. It's it's almost like it's almost like he gets so excited about the story that he's telling you that now he's just going to go on a, a a short little rant, short little uh, I don't know what I don't know what else to call it, just a little rant about how awesome God is, Jesus is, Messiah is, how this all works, right? That's what it looks like to me. But I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I don't think we can get into it. There's too much to say. So we're going to save John 3.16 <laughs> for our next episode. That's good. And everything that follows, yeah. Because I actually have uh, another question and a comment uh, over what you just said. But I'd All like right. to start with the question first this time. Okay. Um, when Nicodemus heard Jesus say... The phrase son of man, I know that in a previous episode I had asked the question and we had discussed about the Jewish musings of what Messiah would look like to them. When Nicodemus heard that phrase son of man, is that like a a red flag, a a red alert um, Messiah reference or is... Is it, am I overthinking that phrase? I'm just wondering, is there messianic implications to the phrase son of man when he uses that to someone like Nicodemus? Yeah, um, uh, there is. And and it, it was one of those things, and, and this is going to be true about so many things in, in sort of like the Jewish history and all of that. It all started with Daniel, uh, it's Daniel 7, I think. Uh, I don't have the reference in front of me. It's all back in Daniel 7, where you see this reference to the Son of Man. And so uh, that one is interesting in and of itself. I mean, anybody who's interested, you go back and read it. It's great. But it, it started with that. And from that, it did grow over time. And and people began to make that connection. Uh, and, and it started to become like, uh, what would you say? It's like it's a given. Okay, when you hear the phrase son of man, they're immediately, I guess, first and foremost, they're going to go to Daniel in their mind and they're going to be thinking Messiah figure. So, yes, I think that that phrase is definitely got its Messiah um, baggage or (laughs) whatever you want to say. Right. Good. Um, And since I previously had said that comment about principle first mission mentions it's been a long time since i've watched this video but tim Mackey and bible project did a video on just the phrase son of man and me saying it here in this episode i will be sure and include it in our show notes so that you can watch an alternative visual and another great scholar talking about that and i'll listen to it as well so i can remember what tim Mackey said yeah they're Uh, awesome (laughs) 
Yeah. And my comment was, um, while we were going through this whole back and forth between Moses and the serpent imagery and then Son of Man being lifted up with Messiah, I couldn't help but think, I feel like somebody is getting real bent out of shape with the story comparing the Messiah, comparing Jesus to a, uh, <laughs> a created being with more as much baggage as a serpent does all the way back in the Genesis narrative. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I hope people aren't struggling with that too much, but I, I think it's cool that that got used because that numbers reference with Moses, like if we think back to the Exodus story, God had such a problem with idols, like with Moses being on the mountain and coming down, they had made the golden calf and all yeah. the fallout from that. But look here in this instance where like God came alongside Moses and the people of Israel and like I don't know it's almost like he allowed that that serpent to have a a purpose and usage for good and for redemption um you know in the midst of them struggling with um graven images that they seem to continue to go back to I don't know and then in this case like God coming alongside people in Son of Man uh, and doing all that he did uh, in his story. Yeah. Well, and I, man, I don't know. I always feel like everybody sees things the way that I do, and then I find out that they don't. But I mean, just the whole concept of God going, hey, Moses, create a bronze serpent, you know, put it on a pole and have everybody look at it and they'll live. That just seems crazy to me. Yeah. Why would God do such a thing? And and especially in light of exactly what you just said, don't they already struggle with the whole idea of idols and all that kind of stuff? And then to think we get here, and at least the the way the, the, the story is presented to us, this is Jesus talking, saying, and as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the son of... He's actually using it to sort of validate himself, if you will, this Messiah, this king... Uh, sometimes stuff like that is it's really just beyond comprehension and and you you you're left wondering wow god i mean i am so grateful for everything that you've done but sometimes this stuff is really just it's 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 impossible to understand why did you do it that way yeah the things you least expect him to use as connections or yeah. For a tool he he chooses. Yeah. And then the funny thing is they end up having so such rich meaning, you know, when you can connect those stories and do all stuff. I don't know. I just I'm enamored with the scriptures. I think they're uh just very fun and interesting and good and I don't know. Having a good time. Me but too. But even so we still need to stop. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. true. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie dokie Most podcast. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your electronic device so that you can be notified when our episodes release every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time so that you never miss an episode. Our podcast is now available on all podcasting platforms, so please make sure that you check us out on your electronic device. You can also visit our website at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. 
And finally, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send us an email at okidokumos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.